Hello? Hello? Okay, we're here. I'm here. Hey, folks, it's Blamo. I'm Jeremy Kirkland. Good Lord, I've I've had tech issues like like nobody's business lately. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. And I've been like clumsy. I've been dropping stuff. I don't know what the heck's going on with me. My daughter told me I have bad luck. I'm like, you're, you're four years old. You don't know anything about luck. Like, <laughs> she watched that stupid Apple movie, TV movie or whatever, the luck. It's not stupid. It's actually pretty good. But like, you know, and so now everything is luck. We have good luck. We have bad luck. Um, I don't, that's, that's all bull roar. But we got a winner here. Your favorite bald boy just kicked off the fall, fall season here. I had my pumpkin spice this week. Look, I'm sorry. I really am. I'm not going to be some clown who goes like full pumpkin everything, but man, it's, <laughs> it's a tasty treat. Let's just be honest. But also, it's going to be 95 degrees this week, and uh, I can only wear my cardigans if I blast my AC. Not a good look. Sorry, planet Earth. Dan Levy is here this week. Yes, Levy. The comedian, the writer, the Banty fit god. I just got to say, like, first off, I love comedians. When they come on the pod, I mean, they are ready. I mean, the energy on this pod it's it's high intensity he was locked and loaded and just a ton of fun and and can i also say like it's great to have people on who like stuff and like clothes but recognize that they don't have to be masters to like something do you know what i mean like he could have easily just come on and given a master class in comedy writing on the pod or something like that but no we talk clothes we talk vintage he was a blast talking to and we got into it um it was great we discussed his stand-up career, writing sitcoms with the homies, touring with John Mulaney, getting fits off on stage, his favorite vintage dealers, wearing his shoes, his Green Day merch collection, and watching the Marvel movies in order and working out six days a week. It's a big old pod. Here we go. I forget because you're, you're like your career, you've done like every aspect of the f- industry. Um yeah, I mean, it's been. I feel like I always say, like I, I'm, I'm, I, I'm in comedy related activities. You know, it's like I started out doing stand up, um, which I love and I still do. But I started doing that when I was so so young that by the time I even graduated from Emerson, uh, I was just on a comedy tour. So like I've only you know been making money from comedy my entire life, which has been awesome. Um, and. Uh, <laughs> And I basically, uh, you know, that led to like, you know, hosting game shows and MTV shows and, you know, shows like the reality show on MTV, which is an American Idol for people who want reality shows and also rock band battle, like, uh, which was another terrible thing that was like a, uh, a battle of bands for people who only play rock band. And of course, Your Face oh. or Mine, which was a very famous show in the UK hosted by the hilarious Jimmy Carr. And then we redid it for MTV in America. And it just like we did like, you know, a hundred episodes in two days. Um, and I was on after TRL. So I was like very famous at the Grove for about like three weeks. Um, and uh, and then, yeah. And then Is this like you and Jesse? This. Yeah, exactly. No, no. <laughs> um, this uh, it was who, who was a VJ then? Caduce, uh, Damien Fahey. But I was in L.A. and those guys okay. were um, were in New York and it was definitely a separate situation. And then, uh, yeah. And I, I mean, I did like ridiculous things. I hosted MTV Spring Break in Miami. I've like sort of like done all that MTV stuff back in like the early aughts. And then um, I started sort of writing my own stuff um, 
during like the big webisode boom, uh, also like in the mid aughts, like around 2008. And that's kind of how I got into the television writing because I wrote this thing that became like a TV pilot, which is like a first episode of a TV show. And, um, and then I just started writing other shows and I sold a show and then I just kind of got into sitcoms and it's basically been like 10 years of working on sitcoms, having my own sitcom. And, uh, and now really the past like three months, I've been doing a ton more stand up and I've been on the road with, uh, Mulaney while I sort of still work on, um, new shows here in LA. So it's been, it's been fun. It's been a real sort of whirlwind. Yeah. Cause if I was doing my research on you and like different people that I talked to, they're like, oh, he did this. And it's like, uh, he's a stand up guy. Another person's like, oh man, he's just like this showrunner and he makes all these different shows and he's working on this show and, and we did this show together, but it didn't happen. But we're doing like, like. And that's the thing is like, I think of a lot of the people that I've talked to, there are people that are like kind of um, very like honed in on focused on one thing, but you are like this jack of all trades across the entire like comedy and entertainment industry. I mean, even Pally was saying the same thing. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's sort of, um, that's right. And like, I love it. Like, it's been really fun. It's like, you know, I started out and that's what's been so fun about doing standup is like, you know, it's, it's sort of this thing that you do and it's, it's like a skill. You have to work really hard on it and, you know, you work so hard to get to a certain point. And then, you know, like a lot of different comics, you just kind of, it kind of takes you different ways, you know? So I ended up sort of in these um, writer's rooms and writing on sitcoms and like Pally said like running a show and you know creating shows and it's so fun but the shows that i had the most fun doing were definitely like the big like live audience multicam you know so mm-hmm. to be out again doing stand in front of a live audience is so fun because that's really you know inherently like where it all began for me you know so it's been um it's been fun to go back but yeah that's kind of he's right like it's like while i'm you know on tour during the day i'm zooming and you know creating these tv shows and writing scripts and sending out documents it's definitely a way different way to be doing stand-up than i've ever done before but it's fun have you like found different ways to more or less like compartmentalize your yourself and your humor because like you've written for a lot of different stuff yeah and i think there are some writers that have a really intelligent ability to be like oh i'm writing this character and i can think how that character thinks and other people you're like oh yeah that person wrote that because they just write themselves everywhere they go yeah for me it's like i feel like i'm always writing from like my point of view and like my life essentially so i feel like i'm always like taking things from my life and then you know creating them so in a way i sort of always know the characters i'm writing and then for certain people like when i wrote for adam Pally, like you know how funny he is and and his and his own comedic point of view so you sort of like take you know what you like about the character from your own life or you know that you created and then you sort of you know meld that together with the actor you know who you're working with um because obviously you could write all these shows all you want but like at the end of the day like the actors are gonna you know elevate the material to a way where it'll become a hit show or not you know i just think like a lot of a lot of it is sort of that lightning in a bottle like you know chemistry that the actors have with your material right well, let's jump back because you're yeah, you're an East Coast guy, right? I'm an East Coast guy. Stanford, Connecticut, <laughs> Lyme disease, deer. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. What was check, what check, was life check, like? Check. <laughs> what was life like growing up in Stanford? Because that's like uh, what's like the home of ESPN and like really good pizza, right? Yeah. Well, actually, it's the home of WW, formerly WWF, now WWE. Uh, ESPN oh, is in shit. Bristol, like up north, but Stanford really WWE is the headquarters. Like in high school when we had anyone speak to us about like don't do drugs or you know make good life choices it was always wwe wrestlers coming into our auditorium jacked up on steroids telling us not to do drugs it was pretty great wait, wait, wait. <laughs> 
<laughs> who is coming into your to your auditorium? They would just grab like any sort of like B C level wrestler who was a veil and in town, and they would be like, "Go to Stanford High and talk to the kids." And they'd come in like just jacked up and be like, "You don't want to do marijuana. You want to fucking do HGH, and you want to body slam." And we'd be like, "What is this? What is the meeting?" Oh my god! Yeah, I remember we had um oh we had what, Debo from Friday come to our school. Oh, that's a good one. And he told us, yeah, he told us not to do drugs. And uh, he also told us to stay out of gangs. Uh, That's good which, advice. Like, I, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, the school I was at, I, there was a tiny bit of a gang problem, but like the gangs were called like Bebe's kids. You know, <laughs> like this was not, this was not like Bloods and Crips. Yeah. This is, you know, I want to be a, a, in a cartoon sort of thing. That's, that's gnarly though. I think, especially like now, w- w- you know, when you kind of look at like growing up in that, like that sort of world, because you also got to go to the city of Montreal. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, like, yeah, I was you're pretty adjacent. Yeah, Stanford's like 45 minutes. So, you know, we grew up sort of going into the city all the time um seeing shows seeing people um but stanford was a very sort of i feel like i had a really normal good great childhood where i grew up i did all the stupid things i wanted to be in a band and be in a red hot chili peppers i got very into rollerblading i tried to go pro uh you know all that all that stuff you do um you know in in the mid 90s uh as a white boy in on the suburbs i was trying to pursue <laughs> Wait, you said you said tried to go pro. Yes. Who like how how far did you actually make it in in terms of going pro? I had a wheel sponsor, Fat Wheels. Um and I was very early, especially in Stanford, I was definitely in the early group of kids who were like rollerblading where everyone was skateboarding and we're sort of like, "Wait, rollerblading might be easier, so let's do that." Um we can still wear the cool clothes. Um throwing my jinkos, <laughs> let's go blading. So I was like, you know, rail sliding, going down stairs backwards. I think like the, the coolest thing I ever did was like rail slide into like a 74 steps backwards, you know? So we, unfortunately, there was no video of anything like there is now videoing everything. So I don't have yeah. any footage of me actually like rolling. I have pictures and stuff, but I'm so mad that I don't have me like in downtown Stanford at Bennigan's, you know, running from security because that's the kind of footage <laughs> that I could use to create the next great show. Rollerblading guy. <laughs> well, no, I, actually, I mean, that's we'll, we'll kind of like stay on, on some of that stuff. But there is this like resurgence of comedy that feels very like '90s esque. That I mean, they're are they they're doing like a that '90s show? Oh yeah, they're now, doing right? that like, '90s show on uh, on Netflix. I mean, '90 everything is just everything's coming back in such a crazy way that I I know we'll get the clothes and stuff. Like I find myself on eBay searching for stuff that I wore like in camp. You know, like, I'm like, oh, my God, that Urkel shirt is $2,600 now. Like, it's like, what the hell is happening? Uh, with Especially in the vintage world, in the vintage T-shirt world, yeah. it's like out of control 90s. But even, you know, a lot of like um, a lot of stuff that like Noah is doing, you know, like it's they're going yeah. into sort of like the billabong stuff and all this stuff that you would get at like Pacific somewhere in the 90s. And they're sort of like, you know, they they they're I wouldn't say they're like copying, but they're definitely getting inspiration from those looks and those brands. Yeah, people are leaning super hard into the nostalgia. And I think like as it feels like our generation are now the new like most like dispensable income or disposable income in terms 
of like consumers, and which is like, hell yeah, I'll drop five hundred bucks on a T-shirt. What you like? I know. Like that's that's like the new target market. It's just like, oh, let's 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 make Stranger Things. We're gonna use this song. We're gonna play Kate Bush for for nine and a half hours. Oh my god! And no matter what happens, I mean, look at Metallica. Metallica is like the biggest band in the world. Again, they're like, what's happening? We're seventy. <laughs> Dude, and well, and they're making more money off of the publishing of their songs and video games. Like, the, yeah. I, I get, I get ads for this stupid app, and it's like, learn how to play, you know, Enter Sandman through this like Guitar Hero iPad sort of yeah. supplement, and like people are freaking buying well, it and going nuts. I get it because, like, you know, as someone who's sort of been, you know, essentially like collecting sneakers for twenty years, like for me, it was mm-hmm. always nostalgia. You know, it was always nostalgic. That was always the reason why I was like hunting for like the Air Max trainers and all the Bo Jackson stuff and, you know, big Agassi fan, you know, just because of like what I remember from my childhood, like wanting those things, not being able to get those things, seeing them, you know, and seeing these sort of athletes inspire everyone and then wanting it, you know, as like an adult person trying to get what I didn't have. And I feel like that's just happening just constantly for all these people. And it's even funnier now that it's like younger generation is buying all this stuff because it's not even nostalgic for them. So it's like, how are how, oh, yeah. how do you guys even care about that specific Stussy shirt? You know, it's like you weren't wearing yeah. it in seventh grade. I was. Get off my eBay. <laughs> <laughs> Seeing a 15-year-old in like Jordan Cement 3s, I'm just like head Oh, I know. When they're like, yo, but these are the ones that he actually wore. Yeah. And I'm like, you weren't alive when he played. Like, yeah, but I saw the documentary <laughs> during the pandemic. Okay, get out of here. <laughs> Yeah, that that's a real thing. So when did you think you started like getting more into clothes and stuff? Because I think you're also part of this uh, resurgence is not the word I want to use. But like there's this new sort of generation of younger comics and people in the industry that have like are into clothes and they don't have like brand endorsement deals. It's not like, oh, well, this guy wears clothes because he's George Clooney and he's, you know, got like an Omega deal or something like that. Like this is like you, Pally, um, I mean, a, a handful of other people. Yeah. Have like definitely embraced liking clothes, but also like still being in the industry, which means you can actually afford the clothes that you're getting versus everyone else just like saves it on Instagram. <laughs> well, it was bad when Pally and I were working together every day because it was just like constantly buying shit. I was like, we are gonna, we are going in debt. We also were able to control the wardrobe on the show too. So we'd be like, we need the characters to wear all of these clothes. Um, <laughs> But yeah, there was a lot of high end shit on, on in debt. Yeah, I know. I know there was, it was, it was, uh, it was a shame that we only got to make 12 episodes, <laughs> but the clothing was going to get out of control as it went uh, further. They're like, does he live in the suburbs? We're like, yeah, he lives in a place where he get the clothes. Um, so yeah, he's online. <laughs> he's online. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I think it's sort of just like I said, like I was always, you know, very aware of like sneakers and streetwear, you know, just because of like, mm-hmm. you know, my interest and just collecting it forever. And I've been sort of, I've said this on other podcasts, I've been sort of in and out of sneakers because I get very frustrated with the sneaker world and how, you know, how excessive it's become and how young the people are who are buying the shoes. And it's like what you just said, where you see like a 15 year old kid um, or a younger in a pair of like off white. And you're like, what, why do I want a, what the 15 year old has? Like I'm 40. You know, so it gets and then the idea that anyone, you know, and I think these websites obviously like StockX and everything, you know, eBay and Grail, it's great that you can get anything you want. But at the same time, for me, what was exciting about all this stuff was like the hunt, which is why I think I've gotten more into like vintage, you know, the past couple of years, because it's harder to get. It's harder to find. And I think what's happening now is like if some like 14 year old kid, you know, wants, I don't know, like the air tech challenge, not that he'd ever want like, you know, a a pair of Agassiz, but if he does, 
he could just go on StockX and pay like $800 for them. And then he has them at his feet where like, I would like sleep at Nike town in Boston to get like the military fours. Not that that was a good idea, but I, I'm just saying like, it was definitely like an experience. So for me, I feel like it started, you know, with sneakers. And then as I got sort of more frustrated with the sneaker sort of world and like how everyone was just sort of always wanting the same thing, it sort of kind of like slowly got into like other clothes and different things. And then, you know, I never was was into necessarily Supreme, but I really sort of like I I appreciate the brand and sort of not, not I don't appreciate anyone who works at the stores because every time you go in it they're just like giant assholes that's like when oh, you yeah. go to Supreme yeah, like, you dodged a bullet yeah, there. do you have uh, large fuck you what don't you work here <laughs> that's my impression of being in Supreme <laughs> um, but you know people I talk about all the time but like John Elliott you know I really feel like was like a, a game a game changer for me in terms of like you know, um, simple basics, like high end, simple basics that just like look good no matter what. And then, you know, from there, you just sort of start seeing different things. And I started, um, you know, just, I was always into jackets and, you know, you know, wearing leather jackets and just different sort of apparel, you know, and I think on stage. And I think as I sort of like move forward, you know, honestly, my career, like this going in different places, I, it just kind of snowballed into like, okay, I just want to like look a certain way and, you know, make it happen. And then it's kind of how it sort of started. Yeah. Cause you, you kind of had to figure out your style publicly because I mean, you, you were doing comedy tours at like what in your early twenties. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. This is like hoodie and members only jacket with the, you know, rectangle glasses. Exactly. Yeah. That was, that was, I was, I was big into like, exactly, exactly. I, I had, I mean, my looks were not always great. I mean, there was a period of time where I was always wearing a red and white Michael Jackson-esque beat it jacket, you know, where I thought was just so sick that I got a Bloomingdale's. (laughs) Um, And I was rocking that. Um, Lots of members only stuff. I went through a serious Puma phase. There was a period of time where Puma Mm -hmm. was sponsoring, you know, um, a comedy tour and I was just like rocking Puma head to toe. Uh, So, you know, that's, uh, that was definitely, you know, a different time than now where I'm, you know, wearing like Paul Smith tuxedos on stage um, and, right. you know, corridor top, all these uh, Drake. The, I'm wearing these great black Drake's loafers right now that are tight. Oh, okay. Um, and have you have you gotten this stuff on flow? Because I think it's it's funny. You know, I do consulting for a few different fashion companies and I've been in meetings and stuff and they don't want influencers anymore. They don't care about like the blue check. They don't care about any of that. What they want is like people like yourself that are in the industry. Like they're like, oh, what, you know, we, we need someone who the, the, the fashion world likes and respects and, but like, isn't a hundred percent in on that. Like that is like the new sort of like format of what all these brands are doing now is to kind of like kid out the people that are like adjacent to the industry now and, and, and appreciate it versus some guy who like literally gets it and takes a picture of it on a hardwood floor and it's followed by 50 other things you just got for free. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's smart though because it feels more organic and that's sort of what I feel like, that's what I think everyone's chasing is like everything now being, everything is like so forced upon us, you know, with all sorts of social yeah. media that I feel like, you know, organic ways that people are now wearing clothes is the most like real. You know, that's what I want to see. I want to see people who actually care about what they're wearing, not necessarily like, oh, I just got this blazer, let me just throw it on. It's like, you know, in a box with a thousand other things, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and there's also a new sort of uh, resurgence here. I'm curious your, your take on this for knockoff stuff. 
And you you got a deep connection to the knockoff industry and the family, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. My well, not not necessarily knockoff, but my dad was an as seen on TV salesman. So I feel like throughout some of his um throughout some of his product days, there were definitely some non licensed frozen uh, humidifiers that his company did sell. <laughs> Well, and did, isn't wasn't it like your your uncle sold uh like knockoff belts? Yeah, 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 yeah. There was there was lot there was lots of that. There was also a period of time where my dad was selling like Nintendo sunglasses that were also not Nintendo, and I they were like basically like Oakley Razor ripoffs, but they said like Nintendo on the side. And I like wish we still had them. But I remember going to his office and I'm being like, "Whoa, these are awesome!" He's like, "Yeah, they're Nintendo sunglasses." I was like, "You got to find the storage." I here. know, I know, it'd be so <laughs> sick. I'm sure he didn't save anything. All my dad saves is mugs and hats. Well, that's there's a pretty good market. Yeah, for that I, know, too, I, know. I guess. Did you perform in Vegas with Mulaney? Um, I, I I performed in Vegas before. We haven't performed in Vegas on this tour. Um, okay, but but yeah, Vegas is uh, Vegas is oh, Vegas is actually kind of the worst place to do comedy because it's the one place where um people are sort of in and out, you know, where it's like they have they they produce the shows in a way where it's like you can't stay that long because they want you in the casino. So like back in the day, I'd perform at like Harris Improv and you do like 19 shows, you know, in, in, in seven days and it's like in and out, you know, it's like they don't want the shows to be longer than like 45 minutes because they want people in and out. And it's just like the people who are like, you know, not necessarily people who are going to like like a John show or one, or one of these bigger shows in, in Vegas, but people who are going to like the improv on like a Wednesday at eight o'clock, like they just right. lost a shitload of money and they're just waiting for, a, they're just looking for a thing to do where they won't spend money. And that's just like staring at me, just like a bunch of like depressed. <laughs> people in cowboy hats um when you were when you were touring like you know young younger younger dan days when you're touring and you, you got the members only stuff were there how was the comedy scene friendly wise to you when you were coming up because i think also at that era that's when comedians started to become like serious celebrities and this is like post eddie murphy but more like seinfeld where it's like uh a tell and yeah it was like black yeah, and lewis black david tell greg Gerardo, dane cook like that was like those were like the biggest yeah. guys when i was sort of like on the road during that time and it was totally um it was fun. I mean, I was at like Go Banana Cincinnati. You know, you were at, at these kind of comedy clubs where, you know, people, it wasn't like how it is now where there are actually comedy fans. And I feel like there's like this, like this, this second boom, like there was in the eighties, you know, but, um, yeah, where people are just very aware of stand up comedy now, which is so awesome because there's just so many huge comics. Um, but you know, when I feel like when I was like on the road back, back then, it was like people were like aware of comedy, but, um, I was on Chelsea lately, that show back in the day then. So that was sort of like a, a great mm -hmm. thing to do when you were um forming because it really a lot of people there were some diehard fans so you'd go out to a club and there'd be like tons of chelsea lately fans there but it was still sort of like the building phase of sort of like the 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 pre-boom the pre-second boom of stand-up i'd say yeah and then so you did this for a few years yeah. right and then like then the 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 entertainment world like came knocking right like was this just like you're doing a special and then someone hires you for punch-ups or did you kind of get more fully submersed um in the tv industry yeah i mean in, in the beginning it was like stand-up hosting shows and you you know, all that kind of stuff. And then as far as like the, the sitcom, like television thing, what happened was I was writing a TV pilot for NBC and Whitney Cummings was writing her show for NBC and her show for CBS. And we're friends. She had two shows. Yeah. So we're friends. So, so oh, we damn. were sort of punching each other's scripts up. And then she was like, Hey, um, if one of my shows gets picked up, um, will you work on my show? And I was like, I've never done that before, but that sounds kind of fun. So I went to the taping of two broke girls when the taping of Whitney. And then when they both 
both got they both got picked up and then um i worked on her yeah. show and then that was the first time i entered like a sitcom writer's room and i was like oh this is cool these people are super funny a lot of them were like comedians back in the day or second city people and that that staff at whitney um i think like five of us have had our own shows on the air like it was an incredible group of people she put together yeah um so it was really, really fun. Um, and then we did like two seasons and then I was just sort of like in that sort of world. And then um, I realized it was really fun and I was still like performing, but it kind of got deeper and deeper into it. Then I worked on Millennium had a sitcom back in the day. Then I worked on this animated show um, called The Awesomes. That was really fun that I did with my buddy Dan Mintz and Seth Meyers. And then um, after that, then I w- worked on The Goldbergs. And then that was a really fun experience because then i was sort of inside a hit show like i joined season three and i was there for five years or whatever and it was just to, to be working on a show that was just you know the, it's still like the number one comedy to, network comedy in america it was just really fun um and a cool thing to see and that's where i you know met my producer who i did my own sitcom with and then i sort of was just you know based out of um the sony in culver city which is very far from everything but you know respect uh i was there for a while <laughs> um you know, doing stuff. And the show that I'm still doing, the show um, that takes place, speaking of nostalgia, 1998, based on Kevin Hart. This is the Kevin, the Kevin yeah, Hart. Kevin yeah, Kevin Hart worked at a sneaker store, um, is with that same group of people. So, um, so yeah, so that's sort of, that's kind of how all of my writing stuff happened. And then in the, in the meantime, uh, you know, I also like jumped on, I wrote like on the Justin Bieber roast and I've sort of like, you know, wrote a movie and, uh, you, you know, I've, I've done like uh, doing all that kind of stuff, stuff coinciding with all like the TV stuff. Yeah, because I think there's, there is not, I have a few other friends who are writers and there's like two different camps. And one is just like, it's all, we're just friends and we're hanging out, eating pirate's booty, like riffing at each other. And others who are approaching this as like, this is the highest art form of, you know, comedy of of all times is working as a team and learning how to edit and learn like, because there's just not enough attention, I think, on the writer's rooms on like how that actually works. And even the people that are on there, when you look at just like the people that have written on The Simpsons and oh, yeah. I mean, it's there, it's all like just comedy gods. Yeah, it's it's incredible. I mean, I I, I prefer to, you know, eat pirate's booty and uh, laugh. <laughs> Then think of it as okay. like the highest art form because really for me the the most fun you could ever have in a writer's room is when everyone's together and you guys are crying laughing about something that's not even necessarily something for the show you know it's just like to get like the group of like the funniest people that you could in together and just laugh all the time like that just leads to like mm-hmm. I feel like great um writing and just sort of like for me it's like the vibe and the energy you know it's like who is the top and how funny is that person and that to me is the most important thing it's like if you were working on a tv show your boss gotta be you know and it just yeah you want to be you know everyone is like the making a tv show is very stressful no matter if it's a good show or it's a bad show you know it's like the process is the same it's no matter what it's like table read you know run through rewriting you know answering questions picking props dealing with actors dealing with networks rewriting gay notes like that process is the same it doesn't matter so it's going to be so stressful that you your boss you know uh is going to be stressed out but if they're like you know at their core like you know funny person and and super talented like it's still going to be fun there's just going to be moments you know highs and lows like any job really but you know for me when i was under all that stress and making a show like i was surrounded with myself by you know just people who i you know thought were very funny and it just sort of like helped because for me that's kind of when i'm the most when, I, when i'm like just like i said like when i'm like dying laughing at something like i just like feel yeah. the best you know like like adam pally is the fucking funniest dude so like we could be very stressed out and whatever but like he is gonna kill me you know so at the end of the day um 
that's like the most important thing to me in a writer's room, you know, and I'm, and, and I'm sure like when you talk about like, and you look at like the writers on, you know, the Simpsons, or especially if you look at like the Dana Carvey show, I don't know if you've seen that documentary, but like, that's like one of the yes. best like comedy writing staffs of all time. And the show didn't work out, but when they talk about making that show, like that they were just like dying laughing all the time, making fun of the show, you know, like a lot of times you're making fun of your own show, you know, like. Eh, eh. Oh, the, the, yeah, the riffs on sponsors yeah. when they had like Yellow Five dance across the stage. Because yeah, the yeah. things that happen when you're making a TV show are so ridiculous that like you have to make fun of it or you will die, you know? So it's like, and there's always something with like the food or like my wife worked on my show and like, well, no matter what she does, whatever she orders lunch, the lunch will be wrong. You know, so like she will order like a pizza and like a bowl of lettuce with a raisin will show up. Like it's almost like her life is constantly a prank. And the, but that's the kind of stuff that like you want to happen. You know, you want to just you want to like try to keep it like light and funny as as much as you possibly can, because there's a lot of work to do, you know? Um, right. And uh, and that's what I find to be like the biggest difference now um, versus pre pandemic, because there was never a question about, you know, writer's room, like you had to be inside like a small room eating pirates booty and, you know, looking up <laughs> Zillow listings like that was that's that, that's that's the job. But <laughs> But now it's like, you know, there's so much fucking COVID, especially in L.A., that you have to be on Zoom. And like I worked on a show that was all on Zoom and it was just like, it's not the same thing, you know. Uh, oh, yeah. No. yeah. But but I, but now, you know, I'm I'm back in person with certain things and it's all good. But I just I feel like that is one thing that is just not not the same. You know, what what would you say? Like, okay, people talk about the show West Wing, how it was super accurate in terms of politics or Veep was super accurate in terms of like what people actually behaved. Is there a show that you think was made that's very accurate on what a real writer's room is like? Um, I think there is the remember the movie they called um tv set the tv set yeah or or La- i mean some people have said larry sanders is pretty yeah, similar La- La- like what real late night larry was like. sanders um is yes larry sanders totally is um i would say yes the tv set that's the name of it it's a movie by oh, jay kazan okay. um it came out 2006 it is exactly what it's like to make a tv show make a pilot um oh damn i'll yeah, check this out it's it's really good very funny um Sigourney Weaver and David yeah, yeah. it's oh. great it's great um yeah I that that's very very similar also uh, if you watch Curb this season when he's like meeting with yes. the executives and you know the young Larry situation like that felt very real in like a hilarious way I mean when you're Larry David you're meeting with like the president you don't necessarily like have like the meetings with the president um but yeah the the dynamics and the conversations and like all the, <laughs> the bullshit that he's going through making young Larry <laughs> is dead on so I was dying with all that like you know them wanting to cast certain people and then be excited about people like all that stuff is so is so real. It's so fun. Oh, damn. Yeah, there's there's some, like, I, I feel like I'm more interested in how things are made almost than, like, what the product is. Like, even, you know, because on, I mean, Larry Sanders, they would show, like, part of the show, but it was always, like, the show was making the show. It was less the the final product. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, that's, that's the sick stuff. Um, let's get, let's get to close. Cause obviously the TV stuff is amazing and it's, it's your, you know, it's your calling card, but I think the clothes thing have been a very, very huge thing uh, over, over time. And I, I think especially cause you get it like getting budget to get crazy stuff. Like, do you ever feel like you get the opportunity to experiment on things without taking the risk? Like you can, you can order that stuff and see it in person because it was part of the show, but you're like, eh, maybe it's not for me. Yeah. I mean, sometimes, I mean, you know, um, I feel like I know my boundaries 
boundaries with clothes. You know, like I, I feel like I push it to a certain level. Like I know we, we, I've talked about like this, this one outfit I've been wearing on stage, which is like the Noah leopard bla- blazer with my dead president's um, pants and mm-hmm. um, my Gucci boots. And that's like a pretty great, you know, look. And I feel like that's as like, that's like as, as big as I'll go. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I'm like really into, um, really into these, these suits. I have the guys at Libero are like making me, um, an amazing blazer. So I'm really okay. excited about that. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I just, uh, I, I have this like gray leather, like John Elliott bomber from like 2006. That is just like mm-hmm. really like soft leather. And it's been, it's been amazing, um, to wear. I wear, I wear, um, I have another like black and white Noah jacket that, that I wear too. And then I have these really, this this like teal, um, Paul Smith tuxedo, um, that okay oh yeah i've yeah, seen that that i really like and then i have this purple paul smith travel suit that's that's great and then it's also this other um like dark like navy blue hugo boss suit that i really like but what i've been really sort of like staring at all day long lately is uh the ryan gosling gucci double-breasted suit that he recently wore um with those yeah. gucci loafers that are only available in europe uh so i've been sort of hovering that look trying to figure out the best way. Oh, you can proxy. That's it's pretty easy to get that stuff. The euro and dollars on par now too. It's really pretty, you can get it sent over. I oh, I, yeah. I, I was looking different places. I called. They were like, we can't get it. I don't know. Maybe I need someone like you to um to to be my middleman to get me these Gucci loafers. You know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah, yeah yeah. I know what you're talking about. They're, they're, those are sick. Have you have you ever dabbled in like? Like bespoke stuff. I mean, it sounds like you 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 said some people were making you some stuff too. Cause I like that's always been my thing is I would find the pictures and at least for me it would be something stupid like Paul Newman or McQueen. And I would bring that to the tailor and I would be like, This is what I'm trying to oh, make. Oh, that's awesome. And they'd be like, Yeah, oh, that's let's do that or let's use this fabric, you know, versus like making something or like buying something that technically some other dude could get, which might be a clown. And I don't want to look like that. Yeah, clown. exactly. No, you know? I, I have. I, I found this like incredible Russian tailor like down the street and and she oh. will, I will have her tailor certain pants and do, um you know, for certain sort of like crop looks, you know, um and, and I, and I have, I, I have done that. And then some, but it's, it's like, sometimes I get nervous though, because I'm like with these, I had these like great, like card heart, these like white sort of these, these great, like thick, just white Carhartt pants. Right. And, um, mm-hmm. I want them to be cropped a, a specific way that I've seen. And they Uh-oh. went too high. <laughs> she went too high. Yep. And she's like, and she's done such a good job on other things, you know? Um, yeah. But like, especially sometimes uh, like on some like old, like vintage stuff that like is, is perfect, but maybe like a tad too long. And I want to bring it up, you know, to, you know, like some, some, like she's been good on certain things. So then when she fucked up the pants, I had to forgive her but it was it's upsetting you know because then it's like what do i do gotta start over um oh i i had that happen where like i even caught my tailor in a lie because like since i (laughs) since i moved since i moved back to the midwest like it's been tough to find a tailor as good as the ones i was you know they're way cheaper sure yeah yeah but like you know i this woman she was like oh she's like i can't alter that jacket like it's glues and i was like no i was like this is this is bespoke it's all it's all by hand like it's not and she's like no 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 and i'm like showing her how she can open it up and she's like dad just just lose weight and i'm like what the fuck <laughs> no 
Oh my god. Yeah, yeah no, I, I have yeah. been um yeah, I, I have been thinking that that's sort of what's been cool about those guys. They're sort of like, you know, putting something like just a one one of a kind thing for me to wear on stage, which is gonna be great. So you've been on tour with Mulaney. Yes. How has that been in terms of just like, you know, the muscle of stand up again? Do you feel like that's if you had to only do one thing that you would stay doing stand up or would you stay doing TV? Um well st- I mean it's they're so they're so different. You know, I mean the the thing that is the best about jumping back into stand-up after you know writing for like networks and things for so long is that there is no one I need to talk to before I perform. You know, it's like I think of something funny like on my flight and then I could just say it there and the audience tells me immediately if it's funny or not. Whereas when you are working on a TV show, you have to like write the story for the script. People need to approve it. A studio, producers, network. Then you get notes. Then you rewrite it. Then you send it back to them. Then they go, that's great. Now write an outline. Then you write an outline. Then you send it back to your producer. Then you rewrite it. Then you send it back to the studio. Then you rewrite it. Then you send it to the network. They go, great, write the script. Then you write the script. Then you get notes. Then you do table read. Then you get notes. And it's Jeez. like, oh yeah, so you are rewriting your idea like over and over again. And it's exhausting and it's fun, you know, and it's a good, it's a, it's, it's the process, but it's, you know, very refreshing to just kind of go, Hey, uh, is this funny? And then everyone just laughs and you're like, all right, well, this is a great night. 14,000 people are laughing at this thing I thought of four hours ago, you know? And like, that's been really so fun. And his, and his audiences are like, you know, ridiculous and the tour is massive and i've never i've never performed the biggest show i did before this was i did gator growl which is like the biggest like outdoor comedy event in the country it's at university of florida it's their homecoming event and yeah um i did it years ago it's at the football um stadium and i did it years and years ago um when i was doing tons of colleges and that show um was the biggest show i've ever done and then i've done like you know like comedy clubs and you know 2000 seat theaters whatever but then to like jump in front of red rocks which is like 8000 people outside back to back it was just totally nuts but so fun and now you know it's just you just kind of like like anything it's just the repetition you know now it's been like two or three months of doing these shows um you know sometimes like four or five you know a week and just kind of like you know just get, getting used to it and just really really working that muscle and it's been so fun do you for for like your editing stuff like do you do you and like Mulaney collab on things or you, or do you ever run stuff that you're doing by like friends or other people like hey d- does this feel funny to you or is it just like nope I want no influence this oh is no my head. totally this no is- I, I I always sort of like run like after after a show or like right beat really it's like funny as people ask that a lot like do you guys talk about jokes and like we do but it's always like either seconds before I walk on stage like i'll be like oh is this funny and then he'll be like yeah or say this and like he loves like to, he loves like pitching me something to say and then if it bombs you know like he, i can always hear him like laughing you know if if, <laughs> if this happened like once or twice where i do this whole joke about gossip and i um keep like change you know, just changing what the gossip is every time i you know get it and you know there was just uh one night where he like said some line <laughs> said some line to me that was gonna be like the gossip joke and it just got nothing and it's funny when you get nothing in an arena you know because like it's so loud so loud crushing 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 and then i'm like gah, 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 gah. and it was like what i'm like god damn it and i hear him like ha ha <laughs> So I feel like, you know, that's really where we kind of like, you know, pre-show and like right after the show. If I, if I, you know, I'll watch it, I'll say, oh, maybe say this next time or whatever, or, you know, and he'll do the same thing. Like, oh, change that. Um, And then, yeah, then I just have like other, like, you know, you know, some friends I just like talk to, you know, all the time and I'll be like, oh, is this funny? And then that's sort of, that's sort of as far as it goes, you know? Um, Right. But, uh, 
but yeah, it's uh, it's fun because really when you're up there, it's like even if you have like the pitch or the joke that you want to change, you know, it's really like seconds before I say that I'm just deciding, you know, like if I can just sort of get the vibe of the audience, like if everything is like if they're going nuts, you know, um, I know like I can sort of be, a, yeah, I might throw in like a few new things, you know, and then if it's sort of like, OK, this is just they just want like they want to laugh and they want to see John like I'm just going to like, go, you know, get, get get through my get through my bit and um. A, a lot of your stuff, you like lean into your family, your kids. Yeah. How much, how much do you think like having kids? Cause so we just had our second kid like, on the, yeah, thank you on the 11th. And it is a shit show. Oh, yeah. It's great. The 11th, Don't get me wait, wrong. the 11th of July. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my God. He's, yeah. You're like, really he's not even it. a month old. Oh, Jesus. Okay. <laughs> and, um, like, yeah, having, I think like having kids like definitely opens up this other art form or like appreciation for, especially like comedy, just hearing like stuff that's done. Like how much do you think like that's really changed and affected you? Cause you have three, yeah, right? I have three kids. I have a nine-year-old, a seven-year-old and a baby. Um, latest okay. one's a baby. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it definitely has sort of like shaped my point of view. You know, I think like, you know, comedians, you're always trying to like find out, you always want to know like what's their POV. You know, like what, where are these opinions coming from? Because then you have a sense of like who they are. And that's the funniest people, in my opinion, is like who has the strongest point of view, you know, Bill Burr, Mm -hmm. great point of view, Chris Rock, incredible point of view, you know? So, um, I think, you know, getting for me starting out so young and just being like 20 and just my point of view was I fucking love comedy. Like that really, that's what I was, you know, with like no life experience. So I think the more life experience you have, like the funnier you just are as a person, you know, let alone a stand up. Mm -hmm. So I think, yeah, like having kids has sort of changed my completely changed my perspective on like life and the things that I've been through with kids um, has shaped the way I see the world. So I think that's just kind of where I'm coming from. So I think like, you know, the the top of my set, you know, I talk about sort of my my life and my kids and I kind of get into sort of like, you know, what I think about everything and things that have happened to me and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Very hard hitting topics like gossip, very controversial, um, et cetera. Well, I, I, it's funny because like, at least for me, those were some of the things and there are comedians whom it's not like they used to be labeled like clean comedy, right? Because right? they just like didn't, you know, but it's like where this stuff, it just felt like more relatable. Right. And I think like, and maybe it's because now I have kids, but it's like, I'll listen, you know, because I listen to a shit ton of stand up and, yeah. you know, and a lot of it now is on podcasts and stuff, but like hearing things where it's like, oh, you know, th- how this, this person's like kid ruined their entire flight and that ruined their vacation. But like- right. You know, you know, they still love them sort of thing like is I think is like some of the funniest shit I've ever heard. Yeah. Like I was just thinking the other day, I was like one of the the one of the worst places to go as a parent is the beach because it's like a goddamn nightmare because you're like, we want to (laughs) go to the beach. It's going to be so fun. Then you get there. It's like, no, they're fucking eating sand. All they want to do is buy a fucking popsicle. All they want to go is a snack bar. (laughs) You you have to put sunscreen on and they hate sunscreen. Then you get a fucking sunburn. It's like it's like that is (laughs) I mean, I don't know what the joke is, but just like that sort of experience is just has become a goddamn nightmare um and yeah. uh and when when people talk about it it is just very relatable yeah, yeah i mean it's it's a total shit show I, I hate the beach and we have to go to the beach every other year we go to hilton head island with my in-laws and they like you know they do it all up they rent this like really nice house and you know but we always have to do this sort of like white family beach picture which is like you know the the polo shirt and the shorts or like everyone's wearing like men are wearing blue and it's like the same thing and you go get the photo taken at like you know at magic hour it's like seven o'clock at night all the kids haven't eaten yet you're bribing everyone with popsicles or any sort of dumb shit it is 
the fucking worst ever. And then you see the images and it's like these Tim and Eric looking smiles <laughs> that everyone's doing throughout the thing. And you're just like, no one was happy. Yeah. It's just like, what, why are we doing this? That's so funny. Yeah. And, and I, another big part of my show I've been doing is sort of like talking about like m- how you need to appreciate your 20s. Because like looking back, like I feel like that was like the time where you could like fuck up the most. No one cares what you're saying. No one cares about your opinion. You think you matter, but you don't, you know. And uh, and I end the show with the story about like moving to um, L.A. The first day I moved to L.A. with my with, with, with my with my friend. And um, if you come to the show, you can see the whole bit. But uh, but yeah, that's been also like a fun, like relatable thing is sort of like talking about like my life now versus like what my life was, you know, and how yeah. every moment of your life you think like matters the most. But like, really, right. it doesn't matter, especially when you're in your 20s. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah, there's there's nothing that you fucking do then that matters. No one that, listens you know, to you unless you're like, like you try to have a conversation yeah. with your parents. Like they're like, you're a fucking idiot. And you're like, what? No, I I, I live by myself. It's like, no, you're you're an idiot. You know, <laughs> stop calling. Me. Yeah. yeah. People be like, oh, talk to me after you paid taxes for, yeah. you know, 10 years and whatever. And you're like, what, what the taxes? hell? Like, I didn't know that. And then you pay <laughs> taxes. You're like, fuck, I think I'm suicidal. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, on the, on the close game, what have been some of the things that you've held on to the longest? Cause you've gone through, if I could like almost post pictures of like the different iterations of, you know, Levy style here. Yes. Like please. what, what are, what are the things that you've like that I've held on to the, the most? Like I've, I've heard the, the leather jacket from John Elliott, you said yes, from like I, what, 2016? Yes. I've held on to that. I still have my 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 red and white motorcycle leather jacket that's like you does know, it get airtime doesn't get airtime but i have it in the closet i have okay. a lot of starter jackets i have a lot of vintage whalers starter jackets i have like the white one with whalers across um mm-hmm. these aren't necessarily like you know um clothes that I wear on stage but i have some um i guess i would have a like like these are things like your wife said we're purging your wardrobe now. I'm tired of this shit. And your everything's in garbage bags. And these are the things that you like. You threaten. You threaten walking out on um, if she's going to put it in the bag. Yeah, I would say I have like a de- an old old denim shirt that does not go anywhere. Um, that just been. I won't. I like refuse to, to let go. I think I got like in 2002. That's now definitely back in stock. Are you in your closet right now? Because I see you looking I'm to looking, the I'm looking, looking to your I'm right. To <laughs> also, I, I would say. This, uh, you know, I would say this, this, oh. this, this, this Agassi uh, windbreaker. Um, a lot is that of- new old stock? I see a tag hanging yeah, yeah, from that. This is, this is, this is, been, this is, this is an old, old one, but I still have a tag on it, which is crazy. Um, wow. And uh, I'm trying to think. I, I, oh, I have the Saint Laurent Teddy that I don't really wear, but I feel like everyone. That's a good, that's a good example, right, of a jacket. That's that, the LA entertainment industry jacket. Right. That's why I don't wear it. <laughs> that's why I can't wear it. And actually, Jake Wolf said that I should just because I was like, I think I'm going to sell it because I don't want to wear it because that is sort of like what everyone wears to a Lakers game. And I don't want to be that person. So I've had it for a long time. So I was like, yeah. let me sell this. Um, And uh, and then Jake was like, you know what? Um, You should hold on to it because like in a couple of years that people will be off that. And then you'll be like, yo, I still have my jacket. I've had it since before. It was cool. It's so, true. You want some of that stuff you want to let marinate in the wardrobe a little. Longer. I mean, I, I will let it. marinate, but I'm nervous that it's become such a staple of the L.A.-ness that I'm I'm nervous about it. But I, it, but, but it's a great jacket and I love it and it fits perfect. And it was a big deal when I got it. 
but um, that is something that I am marinating, but I'm not sure. What would you do? <laughs> uh, I mean, I would keep you it. You keep it. You have, it's, it sounds like you have the space. I, am, am I correct I on mean, that? I mean, I, I have the space, but I would say that it is, um, it's tight in there. It's tight in there, but I have the space, so I will, mm. I will, I will, I will keep it. I also still have my, um, my wedding tuxedo, but that's just uh, something. I don't know why I have it. I just, ha- I still have that. So I kept yeah, that. There, there, there's the, the sanctity of your marriage is like with, is, you know, embroidered in the sleeve. Exactly. Well, I always had this dream to have like a wedding party where you basically invite everyone who's married and they wear the clothes they wore to their wedding. And my wife said, this is a terrible idea because people are going to be upset if they can't wear fish to their clothes. Oh, yeah. And I was like, yeah, but, but that like, also kind of makes it the best yeah, idea. It's a good idea for a party. Anyways, that's just n- n- no, uh, nothing. And then I have, you know, just a bunch of sneakers that I won't let go. Like I have like that, you know, the, just a bunch of grapes from like 2002. How do you store your sneakers? Are you like, is this the thing where like you save the box and then everything's in like plastic and it's vacuum sealed or like, what is I mean, this? I, I've gone through like every phase of that, you know, where like I, I yeah. have most, I, they're pretty much most of them are all in boxes. I mean, I've sold so many, I've gotten rid of so many that I don't have as much as I did. So I'd say like, but I have, I'm in, I don't know what, if other people have done this, but it's like, I have all my shoes in boxes for the most part. Right. And then I have mm-hmm. maybe like 20 that are out. And then what happens is mm-hmm. I just wear the 20. I never open up the boxes. And then it's like, and I have went through a period where I'm like, I don't want any dead stock sneakers because it's bullshit because sneakers crumble. They just do. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's, it's a bad, bad, bad idea. idea, bad investment. Like don't over, don't, don't spend a lot of money on sneakers unless you're going to wear them, you know? So then I was yeah. like, fuck it. Then I started wearing all of them all the time on purpose. So now I have these shoes that are like not even dead stock. There's in boxes like throughout. Um, but you know, there, there, but there are some hype sneakers that I still like love. Like I have, like I love my Mars Yards. I love uh, my Tom Sachs. Oh, I love my um, Sean Witherspoon. Yeah, one, one or two Mars Yards. I have the old one, the the original, and then I have the new ones. But the new ones I bought in the wrong size twice. <laughs> so one size I actually. They work, they work, they're Adam size. So it's sent to Adam. And then this other pair, they are technically my size, but they feel like they're a little too big. So I might just, sell them. you should, I mean, you should totally sell yeah. them. Like there, there's, it's, it's crazy. Like the, especially now one, it's like people understand the value of clothes, especially shoes more than ever. Yeah. And like, you can sell all that stuff. I mean, I, I think that there's this newer sort of like market now of people that want to buy stuff from like celebrities and for you know have have you ever thought about doing some like a closet clean out like auction you know like i've mentioned this to like ben schwartz once too on on a pod where he was like actually yeah like because i think that there's there's a, a huge like market and stuff there too and even if it's like you do it for a good cause like you just like liquidate yeah no you know, a third of the wardrobe that you don't know because i do feel like once a year i look at my closet i'm like i hate everything because I, I i find myself like <laughs> wanting to like i have i have lots of clothes but i'll find myself pretty much wearing like a black t-shirt and shorts you know d- day to day and then when i go out yeah. i'll wear like whatever um you know like uh my iron heart jeans pretty much like every night and then it's like i'll, I'll okay. wear loafers and whatever but like i i and i have so many t-shirts and so many flannels but like i really find myself wearing like white t-shirt or black t-shirt every day and i'm like i could probably just have like just a bunch of different nice tees and i would probably be fine for the most part yeah, yeah. who turned you on to ironheart that's a very very if you know you know brand. um who turned me on to ironheart i mean i think i just being just loving self-edge you know and kind of getting in there oh, okay and, uh, and just they are just it's, it's the best jeans you know and they tailor them right there for what, you. what do you have what do you get 21 ounce or are these uh these are the, 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 the twitch what's your gene that's commitment yeah. you got to do it you got to do it it's hot <laughs> 
I know it's hot as hell and like the LA heat and all that shit. I know, but they look so good with like, they look kind of good. I would say cuff. They look incredible with either like Jordan ones, which is something I always wear loafers Mm -hmm. or boots. And Mm -hmm. it's like, it's it's very rare where you could get sort of like, especially with some of these vintage jeans that I'll get. Like, it's like, they don't work with every sneaker or every shoe, especially like a loafer. But these are, are yeah, they're a little bit wider. I think a lot, a lot of the, the vibe that people do are like still like the, the stovepipe, like super tight taper, you know, jeans. Like you remember when everyone was wearing like ball on like the motorcycle oh, jeans yeah. with like the zippers oh, yeah. everywhere. I definitely had some of those. Yeah. I had like uh, I had some weird Japanese stitching on the knees. You know, we 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 we've we've all gone through those. Like, what is this? I'm so mad about all the skinny jeans that I had. I mean, it's just so such a bummer that I wearing this the tightest clothes. But you know what? You live yeah. and you learn. That is the hard. That is the hard way we go through fashion, right? Oh yeah. I mean, I have uh, my closet over there is filled with suits and clothes that I don't own. But like, I am too lazy to sell. Like, there is a garbage bag that is halfway. I don't know the height of the door, so maybe four feet tall. Filled with bullshit it's i I gotta get rid of it there was do you remember this brand oh it was it was a bird i forget it was like oh modern amusement modern amusement it was they they were awesome they gave me they they i wore a lot of their stuff like back in like the mtv days also collegehumor.com i used to do a lot of stuff for them they had a big live comedy tour i was wearing i all i wore so much modern amusement every piece of clothing i had had their little bird on it they were they were a cool brand i don't know um I think that they are no longer with us, but they made some great sweaters and uh, lots and lots of sort of teal crows in the corner. It was incredible. Yeah, I, I looked them up and their Instagram popped up and uh, their bio is hashtag follow the crow. <laughs> there you go. Follow the crow, baby. <laughs> they were uh, don't don't want to tell them how they, that ended. I don't I don't think they, they were <laughs> awesome. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, so good. yeah. So have you. Did you when did you get into the vintage game? Because like now you're a big vintage tea guy. Like what's um, what's what's the Hall of Fame vintage teas? It's now? been going on for um. Oh, I feel like just um years and years ago, like I found all of my old shirts from like high school and like like old like Franklin Don Mattingly shirts and just like a bunch of vintage stuff. I've always I had a bunch of like vintage pony stuff from like my dad, so I always was sort of like it was always in the wardrobe. But it was honestly during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, I just um I was already you know aware of all the stuff because of just like my love for like old Nike stuff, you know, with like round two in LA and Sean Witherspoon, like always, I I bought some stuff from him like throughout the years. But then during the pandemic, it really just became like, what else am I going to do? And I started watching, um, this dude on Instagram, 1980 something, he started doing, Mm -hmm. you know, he started doing these live auctions and it was just hours of auctioning off vintage tees. And I don't know, it just, it was so entertaining and it was like exactly what I needed in like the height of the pandemic that I found myself just watching stuff. Um, then, you know, buying some stuff and then trading stuff and sort of like meeting this community of dudes, um, in LA, um, there's second aisle, um, you know, on yep. Ventura, um, there's this dude, Joel, um, you've got Grail who's on Instagram who's always sort of like just, you know, consulting, throwing things around. Um, and yeah, just kind of, and then of course, like old man, Allen, you know, he, he, he reached out to me and he sort of was like, I got this comedy central hat from the nineties. And I like got that from him. And it's just like, just became this sort of like ongoing sort of weird obsession where I was like originally only hunting Nike stuff. Then I was like all about Green Day tees, you know? So I have like tons and tons of like 94, like the Dookie tour into, um, you know, Insomniac tour, um, Kerplunk. I have a bunch of really great like Green Day stuff. Um, I also just recently got like a Insomniac crew tee, like on a wild oats tag that has like, I think it was like a security guard who wore it one night and then that was it. It's like, it's like, it's like the cleanest like 
vintage t-shirt I've ever had, but I know it's from 96 because it has the the, the, the right tag and everything. Um, And then, yeah, and then I kind of like, you know, picked up some like Blink-182 stuff. And then it was just interesting the things that like I was like gravitating toward um became like really hot. You know, it's like, you know, these sort of like 90s bands that I saw in concert, whether it was like Silverchair or like Chili Peppers or whatever it was, they just like, for some reason it became like people were like coming after these things. And I'm like, why do you want a Silverchair shirt? So Frog is awesome. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and then I have some like great, like I got like a great like lithium um, Grateful Dead uh, tea. And yeah, I just have a bunch of um, cool stuff. And I think it's it really, you know, I, I was always really interested in it and aware of it. And then I think like, you know, throughout um, the pandemic, I just got like deep into the community. And it's, it's sort of like reminded me of like early like sneakerhead days where it's like it, it feels very small. Yeah. And um, and I like that it's like specific and but nostalgic, you know, and not brand new and hyped. You know, like, of course, like all like the rat right. tees are out of control and people want those. Um, But yeah. um, I'm not into any of those, but I, you know, I, I appreciate them. But it's more just um the old like Nike stuff into sort of like the, the grunge bands. And then and then, you know, just because my son is super into horror stuff that like in October, I was like, let me just pick up some you know, Jason T's and some Freddy Krueger stuff. Oh, and that stuff is actually like a whole separate vintage world where people are obsessed with horror tees. And I didn't even realize like the level of, you know, honestly like how much those go for so i think i'm probably gonna sell a bunch of these hard that i got like you know just in the middle of the pandemic because i'm not really necessarily want to run around town with like freddy krueger on my chest but i do love him (laughs) but it was just you know one of those uh one of those things but yeah and then um and that's pretty much it then i also have like some like great like vintage patagonia and vintage um card heart stuff that um is sort of like you know separate but also you know in, in, in that world. Yeah, the vintage band tees, like, I've always found, like, the best place to look is at, like, weird spots, like Facebook Marketplace yes. or, like, weird estate auctions. Like, that's the one benefit of, like, living in the Midwest where it's, like, I bought uh, an old, like, Dylan shirt from, like, 89 and I got it for like 15 bucks. Wow. See, that's like incredible. Yeah. And honestly, yeah. all of them are coming from Indonesia. Cause I think what, 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 what's happening is that like, you know, 20 years ago, we shipped everything away and now <laughs> these dudes are just racking up bricks, selling them back to America. It is insane. There is a yeah. dude on Instagram. I think his name is like rude boy vintage or something. Like he sells all these t-shirts, these like LeBron tees, all these tees from like early 2000s. I'm not kidding. Every shirt this guy sells, he's like, yo, you want this shirt? $1,800, $2,700. I'm like, no, man, I don't want that. But thanks for reaching out. Uh, but wow. it's just, he's got like everything, like like Dennis Rodman rap tees, like stuff I've never seen before. Um, and he's definitely selling them because it sells out. But um, but a lot of these dudes are in Indonesia. And that's what's been, you know, and I, I've met a lot of cool guys like in, um, you know, uh, Australia and New Zealand who sell a bunch of stuff. So it's it's interesting too how like the vintage kind of goes around the world, you know? Yeah. Um so yeah, that's sort of my uh my 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 situation. Have you ever got any of the like incorrect sports shirts? So like, you know, like there's a bunch of Buffalo Bills Super Bowl champion shirts, you know, from like the nineties and like things things that were made because obviously like whenever a team won, like they immediately had the gear. Right. right? No, like, I haven't. That would be a cool thing to get though. I have like some bootleg like Air Jordan stuff that's fun. Like I love the bootleg stuff, you know. It's yeah. just I have like a Green Day bootleg um, tee that was like clearly like bought off the street from this company um, that I actually looked it up in L.A. because they're like an L.A. bootleg. They made all the bootleg shirts and they're no, no longer with us. But um, but yeah, that's a cool that would be a cool thing to get all of sort of the losers, you know, the loser yeah. tees. <laughs> That would be great. Yeah, I think like 
Jeremy Dean, he does Dean's nuts. Um, it, like he's he kind of like blew up a bunch because uh he makes yeah if you if his Instagram is is at Dean's nuts and um he he works for House Industries like he's he's been on the pod and stuff before but he yeah he makes all these incredible shirts but a lot of it is like Wonders of Black Flag and um it's like a lot of dead inspired stuff yeah this guy but, Mike like, Gracie who's who's great does a lot of stuff for um like the bootleg dead stuff for like the 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 Dead and Co tour right now that's a lot of like um Air Jordan inspired like Bart Simpson and it, it's it's yeah it's there's really cool there's stuff. just so much good shit in in the T world I'll send you a uh, I'll send you a shirt after this as a thank you okay um, all right hope, hopefully it'll be good I don't know it's it's PBS. It's it's a okay. Yanni, it's a Yanni shirt. If you're ever oh, in Yanni, I, I love that. Yeah, I have this. Uh, I bought this NBC um, this '70s vintage shirt, um, and it just says um, the Peacock. And I bought it when I thought our show was going to get a season two, and I was going to like wear it in like the press release. And I was like, here it is. And then I, as soon as it got canceled, I was like, fucking goddamn it! And then I put it in, <laughs> put it under my bed. But now I'm doing this. The Kevin Hart shows for Peacock, so I'm like, all right, I got it back out. Let's see. Let's let's hopefully this will bring good luck this time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's great. <laughs> um, we're starting. Awesome. We're starting to wrap up. Okay, and this is kind of a series of random questions here. So, if you were making a YouTube how-to video, what would your subject be? Um, I would do um how to do stand-up comedy. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, what's yeah, yeah. how how important is the edit in stand-up comedy? Are you do you do you have the the yellow notepad like the Seinfeld thing? I don't know the yellow notepad, but um, it's not. It's almost like a joke because really the only way you do stand-up is by doing it. But you know, I love talking about comedy, so I feel like it'd be more of a, a way for me just to make a video of me talking about comedy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, well, because what there was a masterclass of uh Steve Martin where he did a thing about like writing and comedy, and he got like a bunch of flack for it, and he was like. You can't like he, he talked about this on Stern. He was like, you can't freaking like teach someone how to do all this stuff in no, in an hour. He's no. like, you need to just like do it over and over and no, over. You again. need to do. You need to go on stage for six years. <laughs> <laughs> that's really how you do it. But I could talk about it. Like I can watch comedians talk forever. Like there was just like, I just watched like Jay Leno talk to Bill Maher for like two hours on some like podcast the other day. It's like, I can just hear these people talk about stand up and like, you know, I feel like comedians love hearing people talk about like the early days of their specific comedy career because it's yeah, just Marin so, does that all the time. It's just so relatable, you know, and it's so fun to hear. Um, Are you team Leno? Anyways. Um, no, I'm, I'm, I, I, I love Conan, but I also love, I, I, I respect Jay Leno. You know, yeah. I think he's, he's, he's a guy who like, you know, he's, he, he, he has said and written so many jokes, you know, like when you hear him talk about like just his, his career, it's, it's, it's crazy. I mean, he was, I wasn't around then obviously, but people talk about like when Leno was like at the height of his stand up before the tonight show, there was like yeah, no yeah. funnier stand up than him. He would just absolutely murder, you know? So I, I love Conan so much, but I don't hate Leno. You know, I feel like who do you you think is an underrated? This is actually one of the questions. Who do you think is a comedian that's underappreciated and underrated? I mean, I don't know if he's like underappreciated, but I think like Dave Attell is like the funniest comedian. You know, I love oh. Dave Attell, but I think um, I wouldn't say he's underappreciated, underrated because he's been around forever. But like, I, sure. you know, I think he's someone who's like, you know, ridiculous. Yeah, no, d- yeah, the early Attell stuff too. Where it's like I've, I've, I've watched a bunch of him, and I guess like it's like he did. It was like some night, like some bootleg night at like Caroline's, and like Mitch Hedberg was on too yeah. and stuff. Like, it well, was they did like, the big before the, the year that Mitch Hedberg died. It was like him and Dave Attell and. Lewis Black and Greg Giraldo were on tour together or something wow. similar. But yeah, that was a big tour. I also loved Greg Giraldo. Yeah. Um, he's one of, I one mean, of my favorite guys. I mean, these guys are hilarious. Yeah. Um, last movie you saw. 
Last movie I saw was um, was actually I've been watching all the Marvel movies in order in chronological oh boy. order. Um, Sorry for your loss. It's it's <laughs> been incredible. The first time I ever done it. Um, and we just watched Endgame. That's where we got to. I'm watching with my son, and it's been oh, okay. amazing. I love Endgame. And watching Dude, the movies, like I, I never, I was never a Marvel person. I never watched Marvel movies. So we just have watched every single movie in chronological order and watching it that way has been, and sometimes we'll watch like, you know, it's summer. So we'll watch like two movies in a row and it's been so yeah, yeah. fun. To That's watch gotta that. be really cool. Especially like to watch it with your kid. I mean, I'm looking forward to watching like Star Wars and stuff with my kid, but not, not the new Star Wars. Yeah. Like, I not, don't not like, trying to... I'm not a Star Wars guy and, and I've always, you know, I've always been sort of like, you know, like, like superheroes, or whatever, but I've never been into any of this kind of stuff so watching it with him has been awesome you know yeah yeah uh winter soldier is like that's the best movie yeah that's like the best movie yeah that's the best marvel movie watching them all now i think we're up to um i forget what we're up to Endgame. yeah endgame what was the next one i don't know but um but that yeah winter soldier is one of the best movies i'm like my my son every time he watched the movies i guess i just say out loud like damn chris evans is ripped (laughs) what's his diet plan so the other day like we were we were we were watching like ant-man and my son was like you want to know what the ant-man's diet plan is and i was like not the ant-man but like everyone else looks at it like they're fucking <laughs> ripped yeah i mean um, well you're a gym guy a, i mean yeah, I'm a gym you've guy. always been pretty jacked yeah it's, thank what's you your, thank you you, um, you hit the gym all the time i do i'm currently you know i i i had some bicep tendonitis uh and then i had covid so i'm sort of giving myself two weeks of a break but yeah i, I try to work out six days a week six days yeah. a week Holy shit. Yeah, I try in the morning. For how long? Um, I try to like work out for like an hour in the morning every morning. It sort of like sets my day. Um, but yeah, that's kind of how I that's do you how do I cardio roll. every day or six days a week. Um, I, I normally like warm up, you know, do like 20 minutes on like the Stairmaster or like a treadmill. And then and then I just like, you know, um, do some sort of weights and then I'll, you know, shake it up. I'll go like for a hike or something like that. But that's I try to, you know, I try to do something six days a week. It's hard. But if I when, when I'm like in the zone, the best it's that. That's it, are I'm you doing. do you also do like the diet thing attached to it? So like, are you like smoothies and pre-workout post-workout? I, I, I it, it's hard right now just because of like my my lifestyle is a bit harder. But like when I'm it really dialed in. Yes. Like I will sort of like you know, fully, you know, eat, try, try to eat like as clean as possible and, you know, try to stay healthy. Um, but, uh, but not really like a pre or post workout sort of thing. It's just, it's really for me, it's the, the time is so hard. My time management is the hardest thing in my life. So trying to work out on top of like, you know, eating the right things and making the smoothies, all kinds of stuff, it's just, I just don't have enough time. So if I can just like work out in the morning and I get that done, yeah. I'm like happy with it. And then I just try yeah. to not, you know, I've been pretty much like eating pretty healthy for like, you know, 10 years now. So for the most part, I, you know, know sort of like what I eat and I try not to like, you know, eat define healthy. Like you mean like you don't eat junk yeah, food like, or I don't like, like you're yeah, I don't, vegetarian? No, no, no. Like I, I eat not a vegetarian, I eat a ton, ton of meat and stuff, but I, yeah, I don't, I try not to eat a lot of like junk. Like when I was younger, I ate like tons and tons of candy and all that shit, like chips and whatever, just anything. But I, I try not to do yeah. that. Yeah, I, lo- I, lo- I, I love. I love. I used to work. With- you know, I'll eat a lot of hummus and veggies. Oh, hummus! <laughs> yeah, you're you're good. I used to work with uh, work with Hugh Jackman, and he had a cooler, um, like this, like duffel style cooler, uh, everywhere he went because he had to eat all the time. And then he would have 
yeah, smoothies at night before he went to bed. Like before, like right before he went to sleep, he would always have to drink this. I mean, this is public knowledge, so it doesn't matter. He would always have to drink this like massive. This is like during smoothie. Wolverine, right? Uh, no, no. Oh, wow. this was well. I, I I think he he wasn't doing an X Men project at the time, but like it was maybe when it was down. The like road those, road, but, like, yeah. yeah. Though, though, I mean, when you could be that dialed in and have like doctors and trainers and all that kind of stuff. I mean, that's that's the best way to do it. I mean, look at Rob from from you know Always Sunny. Like he 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 document the whole thing it was incredible but you need to like it's so disciplined it's like crazy but no i definitely um i definitely love it i think it's he said on like one of their pods that he spent like half a million dollars oh. like all in on everything I'm sure he wrote that whole funny instagram about it like all you need is like a hollywood trainer a hollywood chef you know when you yeah. can't eat, eat alcohol you can't drink alcohol or eat anything besides like meat for like six months it was incredible yeah I it's love it. it's nuts um the last album you heard the last album i yeah, heard i imagine beyonce or something yeah yeah i, I listened to beyonce album. and i like it i like it yeah, yeah. i'm um I, I like it when, when things like that come out i just listen to them right away i'm like i just want to like get it in and see what it is i like it you know i'm not yes yeah, so you like can a, understand the jokes that exactly pop up yeah on the internet i'm not like uh <laughs> i wouldn't say i'm like you know necessarily in the beehive but i um but i but i uh you know love beyonce yeah, Who yeah. uh the last youtube video you watched the last youtube video i watched was definitely uh jay leno on bill maher's podcast <laughs> oh <laughs> talking of, like talking about um jay leno you know the stories you've heard over and over again about um hiding in the closet and trying to get the tonight show um oh the, the, the only time. ones i don't like are he's like it's super easy to like to have money like i didn't spend any of my extra oh, yeah. money and it's like yeah, you had two jobs yeah. like and one of those paid a yeah, lot I know. <laughs> I know. he's I, like yeah it's easy to yeah, save money. My tonight show money it's like yeah but you made like 19 million dollars <laughs> you're doing stand-up um <laughs> <laughs> in 1980 yeah i know exactly that's like jim carrey's malibu mansions didn't he, he got like 20 million for liar liar oh yeah yeah he should have the movie's hilarious i mean <laughs> he's worth every penny trust yeah. me i'm i'm all for homie getting paid it's just like that was i remember that was like newsweek you oh, know yeah. like our actors making too much money sort of thing <laughs> and it's like now tom cruise made a hundred million off of this is like before all the, the everyone talked about like how the uh the the twilight dudes made an absurd amount of money because they got money off the gross versus the Harry Potter right. dudes who got money off of the profits. Yeah. 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 The, the line item for the first Harry Potter movie is like, it, the books have not been closed <laughs> yeah. on it. They're just like, hey, what's that? Like, to the hey, P&L. Just, just everyone will get butterbeer. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, the the uh, last thing you bought online. The last thing I bought online was I hit the John Elliott summer sale and I got a bunch of shorts oh. and a flannel and um, long sleep tees. Um, so would you say that you're a sale guy? Cause I've, I've, a friend of mine was telling me he's like, whenever you buy things on sale, you're like justifying things you wouldn't have bought otherwise. Like the mindset of like, you should only buy the things exactly that you want. That's need probably and it costs true. What it costs. Yeah. Cause I think, um, you know, I just, I, I buy, I buy a lot of stuff from generally anyways, like throughout the year. So I sort of always know like what will what will fit perfectly. So on for him, I will buy on sale because I know the sizes are going to be perfect. It's just like, oh, some more tees or whatever, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. But I won't do that. Like I've made the, I trust me, I've made the mistake of buying some, some on some, some sale items off of sense.com and then being like, oh, what yeah, have yeah. I done? Um, but, uh, but yeah, I'll stick to the brands I know when I'm buying it. Yeah, I did that so. with like the Mr. Porter thing and it's like how I ended up with like a rude gym short and you're like, what the fuck? Like this goes 
goes with nothing. Rude, and then I, I saw that like, like, from miles away. I was like, this is something you will regret in a few years to be having a baseball hat that's $600 that says rude on it. You're like, I just yeah. not gonna put it next to the Von Dutch hat. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Exactly. Um, okay. And last thing, a movie or a book that when someone mentions, you feel they understand you. Home Alone. Oh, okay. Yeah. Care to elaborate? I think it's a perfect movie. Um, I could watch it like at any time of the year. Anytime it's on, I sit down. Um, it's always good. Macaulay Culkin's a star. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, it, so I'm, I'm super into that because I think like I went through a John Hughes phase yes. during the pandemic where I watched every single thing that he did, every single thing that he was adjacent to or or involved yes. with. Yeah. And I mean, obviously there's problems. You know, yeah. Yeah. There, there's, there's a couple things. <laughs> yeah, yeah of there. course. They're, sure. But some of those things don't, don't, don't hold up in today, in today's world. However, Home Alone does. And um, yeah. yeah, it's just, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I remember where I was when I watched that movie. I remember like, you know, wanting people to break into my house as a nine year old so I could pull off the pranks. <laughs> you know, I love pranks i love all that kind of stuff and it had everything that i want in that moment of my life and it's just sort of to this day it's great i've watched it with my kids it's just i don't know it's kind of a funny thing to say especially being like a jewish kid but home alone is like a great yeah. christmas movie and i love it it's you. you know it's phenomenal i mean i chris columbus i don't think it's enough credit because like for based on how crazy that like there was a there was a netflix show i think it was called like the movies that made us and it's like a big like documentary on making one of the episodes is a big documentary on making yeah i love that they were never in the same place the burglar the white the the whip bandit yeah yeah i mean it's that the whole thing it's just like i don't know i would i'd love to see that get remade but at the same time i think it would obviously you don't because they they, right they they, home alone 2 is amazing and they've made other movies of home alone with the franchise with the title with the ip and Oh, I've yeah. seen on like Disney Plus. And it's just, it's just not, it's, there's only two movies, Home Alone, Home Alone 2. That's it. And you don't need yeah. any more than that. You, you can't remake everything. You know what I'm saying? I feel like, uh, I know. I'm sort of in the middle of like a big, a big reboot um thing. But um, but it's different than that. Like I feel like uh, you know, you just kind of want to leave, 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 leave some of the best things alone. Honestly. Would you say that there's something that was remade that was better than the original? Have you ever has that ever happened? Um, I mean, I don't think it's like getting remade, but I sort, I, I do think like the the reimagined the, the the reimagined version of these Marvel superheroes are incredible. You know, I feel like that's necessarily yeah, that's like it's not like reboots. It's sort of like uh. You know, I don't even know what the right word is, but it's just sort of they are kind of reboots, but they're like a new way of, of making them. And I'm into that. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess every Batman has been yeah, made. Yeah. Batman. Burned and Nolan. Though those those are only yeah. get better, I think. But I'm sure superhero yeah. people will come after me. I, I just don't know enough about superheroes, but I, I also <laughs> say something like that. Like, I love the um, I love Dark Knight. Like, I think it's great. Um, I don't know if um like it's I don't know if people are like, but Michael Keaton, I, I don't know. People have all these crazy opinions about shit. But, oh, yeah, but from, yeah. This is a Ke- this isn't a Kevin Smith yeah. podcast. You're good. There, no one. No yeah, one's going to come like, after you. Why are you not talking about clothes anymore? <laughs> Go back to that lithium <laughs> tea. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's right. that's gnarly. Um, well, Dan, this was a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks. It was good talking to you. Good talking to you. Bye. You've been listening to Blamo. Our show is produced by Blamo Media. We're edited by Amar Lull and our theme music, as always, by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. If you like what you heard, you know the drill. Share the pod with a friend. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Do whatever you do when you like something. You can follow us on Instagram for all the hot content. If you want to talk to us and give us your hot take, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a message and we'll put it in a future episode. Email us at info at blamopod.com. And if you want to hang with us and join the Blam fam, visit patreon.com forward slash blamo. We have tons of exclusive episodes, exclusive shows now with the Triple J Show and Blamo Presents Derek Guy and our amazing Slack community. 
All right, everyone. That's it from me. See you soon.